Subluxation is the cause of all disease, but we have to we have to get back to what causes the subluxation, which is trauma, poisons, and autosuggestion. Welcome to the What Up Doc University podcast, your number one resource for total body wellness. Here's your host, Dr. Mike. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Mike from the What Up Doc University podcast, whatupdocuniversity.com. And today, I hope you're doing well. I hope everything's going great. And you got a lot of information from that last episode, a day in, the, in my life, the day in the life of Dr. Mike. Now today's episode is something that I, I'm kind of ashamed of actually that I haven't talked about this earlier but um, somebody asked me this question, you know, I posted up something on, on the Facebook group page about uh, some of the things that you need to do for health and longevity. And somebody asked me, why do I need to get adjusted? And as a chiropractor, I guess I just kind of take things for granted that everybody knows this. And it's slowly coming to my realization that not a lot of people actually understand why they need to get adjusted, what a chiropractor actually does, and what chiropractic actually is. So this whole episode is going to be dedicated towards that. So with that, let's get started. So when you hear the word chiropractor, I think for the average person, they're going to think about headaches, neck pain, low back pain, some type of pain. And you go to a guy who is a chiropractor or girls who's a chiropractor and you get adjusted. And what people say, he cracks my spine. And that's the, the common uh, public idea of what a chiropractor does and what a chiropractor is. But, you know, I used to think like that uh, when before... Uh, when I was in high school, I had a lot of friends on, on my baseball team that would go to a chiropractor and I would kind of laugh at them. I'm like, why do you need to go to a chiropractor? You know, um, all the commercials that I used to see growing up for chiropractic was uh, about somebody getting into an accident. You know, you get, you see this guy getting into an accident, he goes to a chiropractor and he walks back out and he's pain free. That's what was my whole idea. And I think that that's what, as a profession, we convey to the general public and it, being in practice for over 10 years now, I know that there's a lot more than that. Uh, going into chiropractic school, that was my idea, though, of what chiropractic was, was to help people get out of pain and back into proper function. But throughout my education and throughout my uh, postgraduate learning and also being in practice, I've also learned that it's a lot more than just removing pain. And then... Um, so what I wanted to do with this episode in this podcast is kind of divulge some of the information uh, on the history of chiropractic um, and uh, where the chiropractic profession has gone and what it's going through currently and giving you guys some background information on that. So let us rewind. Let's go back into the future, right? Remember that movie, Back to the Future? Doc Brown gets into the DeLorean, hits 88 miles an hour. Boom, they go back. We're going to go back all the way to the 1800s. Actually, we can go back further than that, obviously, but we're going to start about the 1800s in the United States. And during this time, there's a lot of fervor about 
natural remedies. There's a lot of um, what they call snake oil salesmen. You know, hey, I had these guys that were out there promoting these different uh, products and these natural remedies and saying that it could cure this, cure that, grow your new arm, make you more handsome, make you more beautiful, and all these things that were, that were being promoted at the time. Now, during this time in the early 1800s, the reason why that was coming into play was that you had you had a lot of these healthcare practitioners that were promoting these different types of uh, medicinal remedies, such as morphine and uh, and uh, mercury-based uh, remedies. They called it quicksilver, and these were often toxic, as we know today. Uh, so, but but they did. Uh, don't get me wrong; they did get some type of um, health response that you know when people used it, it did get a health response. But oftentimes, people got more sick by utilizing these uh, these remedies at the time. So at the time, you had people that said, hey, I don't want to do that. I want to use some type of more natural means. And that's why you, you started to see all these different alternatives start com- coming out. Um, herbal, herbal remedies, homeopathy, uh, diet and nutrition. These, these were around back in the early 1800s. Now, also during the early 1800s, it was very easy to get into the medical schools of that day. There was no structure to it. I mean, and these were often privately owned medical schools. So each one kind of taught what they wanted to. There was no standardized curriculum for, for the educational system back then. So you had uh, some medical schools teaching herbalism, some medical schools teaching homeopathy, some medical schools teaching... Um, uh, drugs and surgery. So not all these things fell in line. So according to what what was your personal philosophy, it, that's what school you ended up seeking out. So you had this vast array of what people considered healthcare at the time. And uh, along came, along this time came Louis Pasteur. And Louis Pasteur, he he discovered that, or he came up with a theory that these microorganisms called germs is what created disease. And at the time, uh, people were being ravaged by all these different diseases. And he said, hey, look, I found the cause of it. It's this germ. And what's happening is the germ is getting into your body and it's infecting you and it's causing compromise upon your body. And it made sense at the time. Now, at the all, at the same time, he had a contemporary named Antoine Bichamp, and Antoine Bichamp really looked at it. And, and well, there's stories that that says that Antoine Bichamp was actually the one that discovered it first, and then uh, Louis Pasteur came along and kind of stole his ideas. You know, there'll always be controversies about stuff, but here, here, here's what really differentiated Bichamp. And what, when he looked at it, he says the, the germ is not necessarily the cause of the disease. It's what the terrain that allows the germ to grow on is what proliferates the disease or the germ. You know, because he said you can, you can selectively grow um, a bacterium on one media and you can also uh, allow it to or prohibit its growth on another type of media. And that's why, you know, all throughout history, we've seen different um, methods of preservation, like salting, 
uh, you know, because salt is one thing that prevents the growth of a bacteria. So you can you can put all the bacteria you want on it, but the salt will prevent it from growing. So Bisham looked at it and said, it's not the the germ which is causing the disease, but but the terrain which allows the germ to proliferate. But anyways, that's a little bit of a, a, a well, I'm putting all these pieces of the puzzle together so you guys can kind of see where where we get to modern day medicine and how and how it differentiates from chiropractic and also why it differentiated from chiropractic. Now, like I said, during this time, the medical uh, medical educational system wasn't very standardized, okay? And then what happened is that in 1847, the American Medical Association was formed. And the whole idea was to kind of gather all these physicians together and, and create, create a club, uh, create an organization that started to standardize things, you know, standardize how they got educated and standardize how they practice, which is a great thing. You know, if you think about it, you would want some type of standard of care. This is a great thing. Now, in 1849, they organized, they meaning the American Medical Association, organizes a board to debunk quack remedies. So remember, all of this, uh, during this time, you have all this herbal remedies and all these different types of homeopathic stuff going on. And then you have the other side, which is trying to use more of a quote-unquote scientific realm because there was no way to measure homeopathic uh, stuff. There was no way to measure uh, herbal stuff. So they they needed some type of hard science. Um, and then what, what, so in 1849, they organized this board to debunk all of this stuff. So they go around and then all the way up into 1901, and then in 1901, the big boys start stepping in. The big boys meaning the guys like Rockefellers and Carnegie's. So J.D. Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller. He is actually a really, really, really powerful guy. If you look up in history, this guy is a really powerful guy. And, you know, we have buildings named after him. And, and, and all the stuff that he formed still holds up to this very day. So very powerful guy. Very powerful at that time. So 1901... He started the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research. Okay? And, all, and, and the whole idea was to look at the medical establishment and look at all these things and try to advance medical science. Now, by 1906, they've combined a list of all these medical schools of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable as far as a medical institution. And then... This is the big one. In 1910 comes out the Flexner Report. The Flexner Report was commissioned by J.D. Rockefeller and they, and they commissioned this guy. His name is Abraham Flexner. And this was funded by the Carnegie Foundation to basically create standards of medical education and medical practice. Okay. Now, a little bit about Abraham Flexner. He wasn't a medical doctor. He wasn't trained in any of the uh, health pra practices of the day. He was an educator, and uh, he he looked at the educational model. And, and you know, to give him credit, he actually looked at what was what was the best way to educate people, and he sought that um, uh, lectures was not an effective way of educating the population. He, he, he often noted that having hands-on 
uh, training was more acceptable to the human, where just talking at somebody, they really didn't learn anything. So he was very, very, uh, you know, influential in that arena. So they, they commissioned him and says, hey, you know all about what it takes to properly educate humans. Why don't we apply what you know to establishing medical curricula? So that's what he did. He went around. He went around the United States and looking at all these, these different medical schools. And they used Johns Hopkins University as the, as the model of what, um, what the medical institution should be and what they should teach. Okay? So they, throughout this, he looked at it and he said, medical institutions should be firm and have a firm foundation in teaching anatomy and physiology. Bottom line. You know, if you're going to be a doctor, you got to know how the human body works and what its parts look like and what are they called, right? So that's the basis, anatomy and physiology, because if you can study the human body on that aspect, if you know what is right on function, if you know how the, bo- how the body properly functions, you can then discern what's happening happening to it when it's not functioning properly. That's right. I mean, you look at it, that's that's common sense. And then he stated that anything outside of this, anything out any any institution teaching anything outside of what was being taught at like Johns Hopkins University was considered quackery. Okay. So now during this time, right? During this time you have um you have this guy. His name is D.D. Palmer. D.D. Palmer was in Davenport, Iowa. I have a lot of friends out in Iowa. Hey guys, hope uh, hope it's not too cold out there. Anyways, Dee Dee Palmer, he comes along and and he he was very interested in the healing arts and he was uh, into different types of um, alternative quote unquote uh, healing me- uh, methods at the time. And then he, he, throughout his studies, he came up with this idea and says, well, the brain is communicating through the rest of the body. And it's coming through the spine. And if the spine becomes misaligned because it's it's a bunch of uh, bunch of vertebrae that's connected to each other, if the spine becomes misaligned, then there may be some way where the brain is not communicating to the end organs through the spine. And that was his whole idea. So he needed to test this idea out. So in the building that he was working at. There was a janitor. His name was Harvey Lillard. And uh, and the story goes, on September 18, 1895, he called the guy over. His name was Harvey Lillard, who was actually deaf. And he said, hey, I have an idea. And I'm paraphrasing this story, by the way. This is not like the actual like step-by-step of what happened. So he calls over Harvey and he says, hey, I have an idea. You're deaf. But I don't even know if he told this to Harvey because Harvey couldn't be able to hear him. But anyways, he's, he, this is what, what was written in, in chiropractic history. He, he's stating, he said, hey, well, I want you to lie down on the table because if, uh, if you have a misalignment in your spine and we restore that misalignment, we correct that misalignment, then proper nerve function will return and you possibly would be able to hear again. So the story goes is Harvey Lizard lies down on the table. Uh, Dee Dee Palmer 
um, palpates his spine, finds a vertebrae that's out of alignment, and then proceeds to perform the first chiropractic adjustment. He re- replaces and restores the proper alignment of that of that vertebrae. And then the story goes where Harvey Litter gets off the table and can hear again. Now, whether or not that is actual factually true, we don't really know because there's there's conflicting stories, but that was the start of chiropractic in the modern era. Now, to go back, uh, every single civilization on planet Earth has had some type of body manipulation. You go back to China, in uh, acupuncture, they, they have stories of spinal manipulation. In Egypt, they have stories of spinal manipulation. Even in Hawaii, they have, uh, we have old stories of, of, of guys performing spinal manipulation to restore health. So every single civilization has some type of uh, manual manipulation. Now, Dee Palmer comes along and really, really hones it down and, and creates what he calls a specific mechanism for restoring proper spinal alignment. So September 18th, 1895, Dee Palmer performs the first chiropractic adjustment. And from that, he starts to um, research more on what this what this practice of chiropractic is. And, and it wasn't even called chiropractic by then. There was really no name for it. Uh, he had a a friend who who named the named the technique and the profession for him chiropractic, meaning it comes from uh, old Greek or Latin word uh, to be done by hand, and that's when everything started. So throughout the um, early 1900s, the chiropractic profession and the chiropractic education was being established. So they they established schools, the Palmer School in Davenport, Iowa, and they began to teach this method of practice of spinal manipulation. And Dee Dee Palmer's whole idea was that the subluxation, with or in his in his idea was. The subluxation, which is the misalignment of the vertebrae in relation to each other. The subluxation was the cause of all disease because when a subluxation occurs, you get decrease in nerve vibration. So the amount of nerve tone going from or coming from the brain through the spine and going to the end organ is disrupted. And the model that he he was thinking of was, hey, it's kind of like a hose where something's being impeding on a hose where there's there's something flowing through the hose and something's impeding it and nothing or lack of stuff is getting out of the hose. That was the, 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 the rudimentary model that they were going off of. So his idea, again, the subluxation was the cause of all disease. And then he went on to further state that there were three causes to the subluxation. One being trauma, trauma to your body, right? And then two, poisons coming into your body or what your body is producing. And then three, auto-suggestion. Auto-suggestion meaning the thoughts in your mind, whether like um, things that you're constantly telling yourself on the conscious level or things that are happening on the subconscious level. And this is pretty phenomenal because at this point in time, not a lot of people were talking about that. So remember, Going back to what the, the medical model was at this time was a very, very mechanistic, very uh, looking at the body as a machine. Now, D.D. Palmer still looked at the body as a machine because he looked at it as a bunch of parts. We can restore proper function to the spine. 
And then he started uh, adapting this, this idea of vitalism and this idea that there is a universal intelligence um, and that should be in harmony with innate intelligence. So our bodies are born with what's called innate intelligence. You know, we, we see um, as the embryo forms, everything happens on its own. Nothing really has to tell it what to do. A nose just forms. You know, there's innate intelligence in the DNA, which tells the uh, hair to grow, which tells a leg to grow. You know, it comes from, all, from, from a single cell and it replicates into what we, can, what we know as the human body. So there's a, a built-in intelligence. And his whole belief was that there's a universal intelligence that connects with innate intelligence to give proper function and, um, and health. So now when disease occurs, it's because in, uh, universal intelligence is being blocked through its communication to innate intelligence in the body because of a subluxation. So now think about this. We're in the early 1900s. You're talking about this universal energy field and energy within your body. And you're telling people this. They, they Remember, at this point in time, there are no cell phones. Um, there are no like running street lights and all this kind of stuff. So when you're talking about energy to people at this time, they're looking at you like you are crazy. I mean, take, Look at it. You talk to people about energy in your body today and, and still some people look at you like you're crazy, but it's an undeniable fact that your body produces energy, electromagnetic energy. I mean, that's the, mo the majority of our, our modern day medical tests that we use is all based on energy, okay? X-rays, MRIs, EKGs, PET scans, all this stuff is electromedicine. But in his day, he was talking about all these different things that seemed far out to people. Okay, Now, what was happening though is he began to treat people and train other people to become and become a chiropractor like him and treat people like how he was being how he was treating people, and they were getting great results. So now they were getting results that um, medical practitioners that were going to establish medical schools weren't able to get. So now you start to see where things, you're starting to have this division in, in the healing arts. And then we, we, we start to see where, hmm, um, when, when you have competition in business or competition in anything, you want to defeat your competitor. And now here's where we start to see the rise of the AMA versus the rise of the chiropractic profession and them starting to butt heads. Okay? So remember, in the beginning, the AMA started to, to form that, that council for quackery. And their whole idea was they, they wanted to get rid of um, unscientific methods like homeopathy and herbalism and nutrition and diet because there was no scientific basis for that at the time, okay? You couldn't prove that eating properly uh, helped prevent or reverse diseases. You couldn't prove that at that time. Today, you can, but at the time, they didn't have the instrumentation and the knowledge that that even worked. Now... We start to see the rise of the chiropractic profession through the early 1900s, mid-1900s, and uh, chiropractors are getting great results with people. 
uh, that weren't getting results on the other aspect. And, and that's what really starts this rift is you had people that were going to uh, medical doctors for certain things, maybe like headaches or maybe like flus and all that kind of stuff that wasn't getting the results that they wanted. And then they said, I'll turn to the chiropractor because I heard a friend get great results there. They went to the chiropractor, they got a spinal adjustment and lo and behold, they got better. So he starts to hear these stories pop up where, hey, the chiropractors are getting miracles. And, and, and in modern, I mean, in the terms of their day, it was a miracle. You know, if you, if you were being able, to, being able to get help in one aspect and then you went to a chiropractor and you did get help, to them, that was a miracle. Now we fast forward all the way to 1963. 1963 was a phenomenal year for the contention between the American Medical Association and the chiropractic profession. Because in 1963, the American Medical Association created the Committee on Quackery. Now, its whole goal, the whole goal was to contain. So this is directly uh, in, in, you're going to see, I'm going to talk about a, a court case. Their whole goal was, quote unquote, to contain and then eliminate the chiropractic profession. Okay. And it was headed by this guy. His name was H. Doyle Taylor. And his whole plan was, first, one, he, he didn't want chiropractors to be accepted uh, as far as on the insurance aspect. So he didn't want uh, Medicare uh, to be uh, cover, covering any type of chiropractic treatments. Uh, number two, he didn't want the U.S. Office of Education to recognize chiropractic institutions as legal uh, educational institutions. Okay. And then he wanted to encourage the separation between allopathic medicine or medical doctors and chiropractors. So within the American Medical Association, it was actually illegal for medical doctors to associate voluntarily with chiropractors. And this was, this was a huge thing. And this, um, this happened all the way, all the way through. And in, 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 the, in the 60s, it was it was pretty amazing because the American Medical Association really mounted this public anti-chiropractic campaign, this marketing campaign where they 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 went and spent huge amounts of money uh, to publicly shame chiropractors, to to make the public afraid of what chiropractors did, and to basically put a put put a a black mark on the profession so that they could get more of the market share plain and simple it's all about business guys so if your competitor is doing something that you don't like you do something to demean them to gain more of the market share it's just a business okay and that's what they're going off of and so in 1966 this is what they did the american medical association calls a chiropractic profession an unscientific cult a cult that's it's pretty strong words. Okay. So from 1966 all the way through the 1980s, this is going on. So you have this mass barrage of the American Medical Association just just killing the chiropractic profession in the public eye. And then in 1976, a few chiropractors stood up and says, We're not gonna take this anymore. We're not gonna take this defamation. Because it is unlawful. Now, through this time, the, a, lot, a lot of chiropractic 
chiropractors were saying this is unlawful, but they didn't do anything about it. They just kind of went and, and they went along with it. But in 1976, a doctor by the name of Chester Wilk and four other docs, they sued the American Medical Association and they, and they took it to court. Now, they sued them because they, they, want, they didn't say, they didn't sue them and say, well, it's because you guys are calling us names. It was, it was an actual valid lawsuit. And the lawsuit was stating an antitrust. You know, they were violating the Sherman Antitrust Act. And it was basically, again, from a business perspective, they were stating that the American Medical Association was mounting this attack to create a monopoly for the healthcare arena. So when it went to court, that's what was being presented, saying, Your Honor, the AMA is is putting up this false representation of our business practices to gain complete control over the American healthcare. So you can see how this how this plays out in court. But the first trial they lost, and then by the second trial they brought in more evidence, and there was actually uh, a a person who was on the other side who, who worked in the American Medical Association to uh, on the Council of Quackery who finally just said, you know what, I'm, I'm through with this. What we're doing as an AMA is not right. And it's not right for the general public. So he stepped out and he basically confessed and, and, and gave his witness and his testimony that what they were doing was unlawful. And by the second trial, on September 25th, 1987, the Wilkes trial was won by the chiropractors and, and the judge deemed that the AMA was unlawfully using their practices um, to put down the chiropractic profession. And from that point on, the AMA had to change their, their policies and procedures where they, uh, a medical doctor was prohibited from uh, being in, in a um in a professional relationship with a chiropractor, they had to they had to change that and state that a medical doctor could actually refer patients as he as he deemed to a chiropractor. So if he saw a patient and says uh, you need to get to a chiropractor, he could actually do that because before that it was prohibited. And uh, so it was a phenomenal case, and now it. Uh, it really opened the doors to the chiropractic profession, you know, and, and in, into the public eyes of being an, an accepted, um, an accepted profession. Um, there's a couple of things that that now, you know, that that's been accepted for, you know, in the last few decades. But what what happened though, um, and this is from my just from my standpoint, is we we as a profession of chiropractors uh, lost ourselves along the way of what chiropractic is about uh, and painting ourselves into this into this pigeonhole of neck pain low back pain uh, doctors because that's what uh, the general public sees us as and it's a lot more than that you know we're we're health educators um, the word doctor means teacher and we and we as healthcare practitioners need to teach our uh, our our the general public, our patients, what health is all about, uh, rather than just being uh, what we call what what they were telling us in <laughs> in chiropractic school is putting on a chiropractic band aid. You know, we actually have to get to the root of the problem and getting back to what what Didi Palmer was stating of what is the cause of all disease, being the subluxation and and um, and the three causes of subluxation. Oh, sorry if you guys hear. Uh, 
little kids running around. It's my children in the background. Uh, I'm recording this on, on my day off and my wife is uh, at my son's school and I'm at home with the, my other two little ones. So I had to help my daughter with a potty break. So there you have it. Recording a podcast and taking a potty break, which is good, by the way. Remember, I talked about an episode a couple of, couple of days ago or a couple of weeks ago about using the bathroom. Using the bathroom is very important. Anyways, getting back on topic here, uh, we as a chiropractic profession has painted ourselves into this pigeonhole and getting back to what the what the true essence of chiropractic is. Uh, that, that was my mission going through chiropractic school and getting out of chiropractic school. And that's, that's what I've done uh, in practice is kind of getting back to the source of chiropractic. And, and the reason why for me personally that I went back to this was a couple, a couple of things that I read and I went to a seminar and uh, I'm going to read you guys one of the, one of the studies that was uh, given to me at the seminar. And this is taken from uh, Dr. Dan Murphy one of his seminars uh, and it was a it was a, a study done by a medical doctor named Henry Windsor and a lot of chiropractors talk about this study uh, and, and this is one that really opened my eyes and the the study is called the evidences of the association and dissected uh, cadavers of visceral disease with vertebral deformities of the same sympathetic segment so basically what he looked at was uh, cadavers and he looked at their diseased organs. He took about like 50 cadavers. And he looked at their diseased organs. And he looked and he traced back where it was getting its nerve nerve from. And he traced that nerve back to the spine. And he looked if there was any correlation between that spinal segmental section. If that joint was moving properly or not. If there was a correlation. And basically what he found uh, I'm going to read some of some of his words. Um, he says, uh, curvatures of the spine adversely affect the sympathetic nervous system. Okay, um, Visceral diseases and pathology, pathology can be traced back to the segmental levels of sympathetic involvement in nearly 100% correlation. So what he found was that in these, these cadavers, that the diseased organs always correlated back with a spinal segmental dysfunction at that level, okay? Furthermore, prolonged abnormal spinal posture stretches the sympathetic nervous system, firing the sympathetics, causing reduced blood supply to visceral organs and resulting in visceral pathology. Abnormal spinal curvatures precede organic visceral diseases. So when somebody asked me, why do I need to get adjusted? This is the reason why is because studies always show and this correlates with what D.D. Palmer says was that the subluxation is the cause of all disease. But we have to we have to get back to what causes the subluxation, which is trauma, poisons and autosuggestion. Okay, spinal disease precedes old age and to cause old age. Stiff, distorted spines cause sympathetic irritation, vascular spasm, arterial hardening, and old age follows. This is a real, real big one. Postural distortions causing sympathetic dysfunction can be treated with fulcrum-assisted reversal of the postural distortion. Basically, what he's saying here is that 
when you restore proper motion through an adjustment, that's what he says here, fulcrum-assisted reversal, that's a chiropractic adjustment, that it can be treated. Pretty amazing. So we as chiropractors, when we're adjusting the spinal segments, are increasing the function of that organ. This is pretty phenomenal. Pretty phenomenal, guys. And, and this is what we do as chiropractors in our office every single day and why we constantly need to get yourself adjusted. Because as, as you live, right, there are three causes of subluxation. Trauma, poisons, and autosuggestion. We're constantly being traumatized. Our body is going through a lot of stressors, especially if you exercise, uh, especially if you don't exercise. So if you exercise or not, your, your, your spinal segments are being uh, subjected to trauma, either too much or too little, right? And then with that trauma, we're causing subluxations, which is causing decrease in organ function. Two, poisons. Our body's producing toxins all the time, and we're being subjected to toxins all the time. Go back to, I think, episode one and episode two. I talk about environmental toxins and its effect upon our body. That causes subluxations, which then causes visceral disease. And then the third one, which is autosuggestion. We're constantly being bombarded with emotional stressors. We constantly harbor emotional stressors on a subconscious level. Okay, All of this is causing damage to our visceral organs. So as chiropractors, we get back to the cause of subluxation rather than just dealing with the subluxation, but the cause of subluxation. And that's what I focus on a lot in my office. Obviously, we uh, patients get adjusted, but we focus on the other things like diet, nutrition. We focus on or the different toxins that are being exposed to, allergy sensitivities. We focus on detoxification. And then we use different techniques to help restore the emotional balance and how the physiology of emotions reacts with your body. And this is how we restore proper function to the body and why people get better because the body heals itself. You know, and that's, that's basically what, you know, D.D. Palmer was stating was that when we restore proper nerve function, innate intelligence, so the inborn intelligence in your body starts to become free. And that's, that's, that's the beauty of chiropractic. And that's why in my office, I see, I see a, lot of, a lot of miracles. I see a lot of miracles from docs all around the world. I love when I go to uh, different conferences and, and uh, continuing education to hear the different stories of, of the miracles coming out of these different docs offices. And, it, and it's just a testament to the human body, guys. And, and I have to say this is that the, the doctor does not help uh, or the, the doctor does not cause the healing of the body. All the doctor is there to do is to recognize what's interfering with the body's own healing capacities and to remove those interferences so that the body can heal itself because the body is pretty amazing, okay? I want to read this other study too. Uh, this is also from Dr. Dan Murphy's uh, website. Thanks, Dr. Murphy, for, for all this information and for all that you do for our profession. Um, this was basically a study that was done on the 1918 influenza epidemic that was, um, that was sweeping the nation and sweeping the world. Okay. And, um, and this was, this was taken from uh, a chiropractor who basically looked at what was happening in the, 
in, in the town that he was in and the successes that was happening from uh, being treated with what they consider traditional medical methods and then uh, drugless methods, which is, you know, obviously chiropractic. So uh, fast forward, let's look at the, the cases of influenza. Okay. So it, it, with people that um, got afflicted with influenza, there were 10,000 cases. So under medical methods, under these 10,000 cases, there were 950 deaths under medical methods. Under drugless methods, the 10,000 cases, there were only 25 deaths. In pneumonia, uh, under the 10,000 cases, there were 6,400 deaths under medical methods. And under drugless methods, there were 100 deaths. So, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. And, and again, I'm not saying that that this happens all, all the time. And, you know, there are extraneous circumstances and all this stuff. But you have to look at, and, and this is what I wanted to say before, uh, and I forgot to say this, is you have to look at uh, the, the different treatment methods and use the correct tools for the correct times. And this is what I tell patients all the time, is that the medical, what we consider modern-day medicine is great at emergent care. Uh, if you are having a heart attack, you are having, you know, some type of, um, you got into a, a, high, a high trauma accident and you need surgical intervention, we have the best medical doctors in the world for that. But as far as chronic health disease, infectious diseases and all that kind of stuff, modern day medicine cannot touch that because you need something else, okay? It, it, now, most of the times, what I always recommend is an integrative approach to it. Because it's not all the time where a drugless uh, approach will, will work. And there's not a, not all the time where um, a modern-day medical approach, a drug approach, or a surgical approach will work. It's a combination of both. You know, I've, I've had patients where they've, they've had a fall. Maybe they broke their hip. Obviously, they're going to need some type of surgical intervention. But as far as restoring proper biomechanics and proper motion – that's where physical therapy steps in. That's where chiropractic steps in. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of things in our office to increase range of motion for those types of patients. Then there's patients who have, um, you know, stuff like endocrine dysfunctions, whether it's diabetes and, um, and uh, what do you call uh, thyroid dysfunction is a real big one in the, in the United States right now. You know, there's, there's an integrative approach. Maybe you need to take some type of, uh, depending how far your, your lab values are off and your hormones are dysregulated. Maybe you need some type of medical approach in conjunction with what we're doing as far as diet, as far as detoxification. So there's, there needs to be this marrying because you can't just have one or the other. And it should never be about the business model. It should never be about, hey, I'm going to, uh, only I can compete in this section, in this sector, right? It's about marrying the best of both worlds for the benefit of the patient. And that's when we take our oaths as healing practitioners, we take an oath that the patient above all is the main focus, not us. It's not for our personal gain. It's not for our professional gain. It's always about the patient. It's about delivering the knowledge that we've been blessed with for the better betterment of the patient's health, you know? And so, uh, uh, you know, to make a long story short, chiropractic is much more than just neck pain, low back pain. 
remember I read you guys the, the, the study, the neck and low back pain is a symptom of a dysfunction between the nervous system and the organs that it's innervating. There's oftentimes uh, a dysfunction at, at, at one or the other and that the spine is just is just where we feel the symptoms. Um, neck pain and low back pain, unless it's it's truly a trauma, has something else going on. So like in my practice, when whenever I talk to a patient, I always ask them, how did this occur? Oh, were you hit by a car? Okay, well, I can tell you that your neck pain is from the car accident. But if they say, you know what, I've been having this neck pain, shoulder pain for a while now. I don't know how it started. It just kind of creeped on. There may be some type of postural dysfunction, obviously. I always look for the obvious things, right? Maybe you're sitting wrong at work. Maybe you're, you have some faulty biomechanical movement. If that doesn't turn out, then we got to start looking elsewhere. Maybe we have some type of organ dysfunction. And then maybe you have an overabundance of toxicity. Maybe you have some type of emotional stressors going on. You have to address all of these things rather than just looking at the area of complaint. And so my purpose in saying all of this to you is that when, when you're going through this, or if you have a friend, a loved one that's going through this kind of stuff, tell them to look at the entire picture of what's going on with their health and get the entire picture and get as much information as they can before diving into some type of therapy. Because the therapy in and of itself, if done at the wrong time, may become a detriment to healing. So with that said, I hope this was uh, informative to you. And I hope that you guys get a a better picture of what the chiropractic profession is. And and again, I only gave you guys the tip of the iceberg. You know, we can go on and on and uh, talk about what chiropractic is, what it is not, um, and and the intricacies of, of the practice of chiropractic. But with that, I, I hope you guys have a, a great week. Hope uh, hope all is well with you and that you're getting a lot of information from this. Uh, if you feel like you want to, please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review or whatever star review. If you hate me, then leave a hate review. I don't care. Uh, if you love me, leave, leave me a love review. Uh, you know, that, that doesn't bother me as well. Uh, I, want, I want your feedback as well. Um, we got some exciting things coming up for you. I got one of my mentors uh, who taught me a lot of this, a lot of this crazy stuff. Uh, we're going to talk more and dive more into energy medicine uh, and, and dive more into the intricacies of how the human body works. But till that, till that time, this is Dr. Mike from What Up Doc University podcast. Wishing you guys the best week ever. Go out there, hug your loved ones, hug somebody. Aloha. Aloha.